this is Brother Jerry, the pastor here at Friendship Baptist Church, and you are about to watch one of our messages. I hope that during this time that you would prayerfully listen. I hope that the Lord speaks to you, that he uses this message to help you grow. I hope you're able to experience God. I hope you're able to connect with him and connect with our church. I hope that you're able to respond to what he's doing in your life. I hope you enjoy. May the Lord bless you during this time. And also, I just wanted to... Uh, tell y'all I love you and I missed you. Oh, last week we didn't have in-person service and I just can't tell you how much that just drives me crazy. I just miss y'all, miss seeing your faces, miss hugging and loving and I know uh, we're in crazy times right now, but you know God is God and we're going to worship him. Amen? Amen? All right, Father, Lord, we praise you today and God, I just ask that you would be just that glorified Lord and praised. Lord, move in our hearts in such a way that the tension goes off of us this morning, and Lord, on to you. Help us see you, Lord. Help us experience you and feel you this morning, and Lord, uh, move us to obey you, Lord. God, I'm looking forward to getting into your word today, looking at the truth, the gospel truth, and the call toward that, Lord. And Lord, as we sing these songs that are saturated with your truth, Lord. I pray that our praises would come not from our lips only, but also our hearts, Lord. Help us rejoice today and serve you always, Lord. In the name of Christ, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. This is uh, our birthday song. If y'all would stand with us. song too so let's let's hear y'all all sing it with us Shall die. 
Praise the Lord, church. You're awake. (laughs) Praise God, David. Praise God. You know, um, the Bible calls Satan the father of all lies. And I think one of the biggest lies he uses is fear. I think fear can seep in. And and, uh, and I don't mean that we should never essentially um, be cautious or, or even a healthy fear. I'm not talking that way, but fear that tells you that you're not worthy. And that you're uh, uh, filled with dirt and, and not, not um, able to receive the grace of God to change uh, who you are and to make you new and to be put into uh, who he desires you to be. That's a lie because God's grace is powerful. And, and I, I love to be able to sing about that and, and praise and worship the Lord in that. You all know um, last week we weren't in here for in-person service. Last Sunday morning we watched an online service and because of our services online are a week behind if y'all hadn't noticed that you you, there's your uh, answer they're a week behind than what we're doing right now and because of that schedule I wasn't able to put last week's sermon on last week and so because y'all already watched that and so we uploaded a sermon from November 17th November 17th of 2019 and that was the first message of this series the gospel in motion and I just thought it was really interesting to watch that when I was watching it before and was even just praying and asking the Lord um, what he wanted to do for last week since we had to be online as I was watching it I just was kind of overwhelmed um, thinking and and, and seeing and and just kind of seeing how interesting it was I mean first off that was November of last year that was pre-COVID era (laughs) it's kind of uh crazy to think about it. It feels so long ago, but at the same time, just a short amount of time ago. And, and I just thought, man, we were up and, and going around shaking hands and giving hugs and you could see each other's faces. It was wonderful. It was just different. And, and, and then there was that time where the kids got to come forward. You remember when all of our youngins came forward? I can't wait to get back to that because I just love that time with my youngins and seeing those kiddos smile from ear to ear and teaching them about the Lord. And so I was watching that and it's just a kind of a different atmosphere you could just see the different atmosphere there on the camera if you watched last week and I thought that was interesting and I can't wait to get back to that amen Amen. and I've heard some people say you know I don't think we'll ever get back to normal and I understand that but uh I think we will just give us some time we'll get back Uh, the world's been through some crazy things before in the past we'll get through it but even if we don't even if it never goes back to normal 
What I was reminded of last week is our mission as brothers and sisters in Christ, as children of God, is the exact same today as it was there nine months ago. Are you all with me? That our mission is exactly the same. If you all watched that message, we were reminded of this mission that we have that Christ gives us before he ascended. The mission was that we would be witnesses. That not only witnesses, but that we'd be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Let that sink in for a moment. That we would be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And what we've witnessed about Christ, we would share that in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That was what the message was about last week. And so today, my reminder that God give, gave me was, was simply that me and you, no matter what our world, our context, post-COVID or not, whatever we're looking at, our mission, church, as brothers and sisters in Christ, is to be empowered by the Holy Spirit witnesses who have witnessed Christ's work in our lives and share that with those in Blackfoot, Bethel, Cayuga, Palestine, and to the ends of the earth. Are you with me, church? That is our mission this morning. It will forever be our mission until Christ returns. And I praise the Lord that we have this mission. You know, um, we've been watching this through the book of Acts as we've been going through this for the last nine months and seeing the different letters that Paul's wrote, starting with Thessalonians here. We've watched Paul be faithful to this mission. To be an empowered witness by the Holy Spirit, an empowered witness. And so we've watched this, and it's been exciting to see all that happen. And, and then, um, let me just say this first off. When I'm talking about witnessing, sometimes I think we get this confused in our minds at times. I, I'm not really talking about the three-minute elevator speech um, that we have, or the mental track, um, the gospel track that we have in our mind. Y'all know, like the street preachers and the ones that just go to the malls. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. I praise God for that because I know he moves through that. You think about the Ethiopian uh, eunuch. Philip went up to a complete stranger and opened his mouth and told him about how um, Isaiah points to Jesus. So there's nothing wrong with, with that type of witnessing. But the norm... The normal in Scripture, I hope you've been able to see this as we've been going through Acts and the letters, is there's this relationship that's being formed with people, this love relationship in which there's actual brotherly affection toward one another, and then there's Christ being shared through that. And so when I'm talking about witnessing, that's really what I'm talking about is our day-to-day walk and showing the gospel through that. It doesn't mean just live your life and never open your mouth about Jesus. No, quite contrary. Actually, your witness is dependence, is your dependence on the Holy Spirit. You're depending on it daily, walk by walk, depending on it, and asking the Lord, how do you desire me to share your gospel today through my day-to-day walk with this person? Amen? Amen. That is what I mean by witnesses. And then the greatest blessing of that, church, is, is that you don't get to just look back just a few minutes, 15 minutes or 30 minutes in that last conversation you've had and, and say, wow, look at how God worked, even though you get to do that at times. But the blessing that I see in this is I get to look back a week and a couple months and a couple years and a couple decades of watching how God has empowered me by his Holy Spirit to witness and to share Christ and share the gospel with somebody that I've known for 20 years. Isn't that awesome, church? Some of y'all got a little more gray hair than I have. Isn't that awesome to see how God's worked in all those years? Amen? All right, praise the Lord. I want to make sure y'all are with me this morning because it's exciting. And in fact, I have an example I just wanted to share with you before we get going here this morning. Really a testimony, just to praise the Lord. Let's let's praise Him. And I got to see one of those uh, kind of long-term, and for me, long-term is eight years, okay? (laughs) 
one of them long-term kind of watching God move and empower me by His Spirit, not praise and glory to me, praise and glory to Him, but to use me in this. And, and he did that with a man named Isaac Solander. Isaac Solander, he's probably going to watch this online. I love you, brother. He's my best friend from college, one of them. And it's really interesting how it all started. I came to campus, and I got in my dorm room, and, and you know, they pack you in like sardines, and you, you're right here, and right across the hall was Isaac Solander, and I was right here. And one day, I get a knock on my door, and he says, I see your sign there says, you're Jerry Horan from New Salisbury, Indiana. Yes, sir? <laughs> he said, uh, I had an aunt that um, taught in, in New Salisbury, uh, taught English. Her name was Freeburg. I said, I had Miss Freeburg as my eighth grade English teacher. Yeah, I know who you're talking about. She's a crazy lady. He said, yep, that's her. And so uh, uh, we, we kind of hit it off right there, but it was kind of slow moving into that. It was kind of slow. We, um, he still thought I was kind of weird, and I was weird, and I'm still weird. I own that, but it took a little bit, and eventually after that first year, um, the next year came around where he had to pick roommates, all right? Now, like I said, I'm kind of weird, and I kind of messed up my roommate my first freshman year. Uh, I woke up one night sleepwalking and was taking his covers off his bed. <laughs> Went to sleep, never talked about it again. <laughs> but he didn't want a room with me the next year. <laughs> so I was kind of like, I need a roommate. And Isaac said, well, I need a roommate too. And so I think it was a pity roommate, but it ended up we roomed together. And then I, I was going to church, and um, I, I would go, we had Wednesday night service, then we had Saturday night service, then I had Sunday morning service and Sunday night service, so I spent half my time in college at church. And uh, I wish it was all for Jesus, but it, partly because this woman was there. Um, but I, I was praising the Lord too. Uh, but I get there and I started, and he's like, why do you go to church all the time? What is this? And I'm like, I try to share that with him. Over the next two years, we, we roomed together there, and I, I tried to share with him, and I eventually started teaching Sunday school. That's where it started for me, a, a, a Sunday school teacher, um, like one of y'all that teach our Sunday school classes every week, looked at me and said, hey, would you like to teach next uh, week? And I was like, uh, no. <laughs> but I eventually said yes, and that's how it all started. That's part of the reason God's got me where I am today. Praise the Lord. And so... I teach this class, and I say, Isaac, you got to come. you got to come. I'm nervous as all get out. I need some comfort. You need to be there for me. He said, I ain't going. If I go into a church, it'll burn down. Or if I go into a church, it will fall down. You heard that before, y'all? Yeah, you've heard that before. I've heard that right from him, from his own lips. He said, it'd fall down. So he didn't come. I kept teaching Sunday school. Well, eventually it came around where I started preaching, and I, I prepared to plant a church. And so I prepared for six months with the pastor, and I was going to, after that six months, go plant a church. And so we had this big kickoff day where it was on a Sunday morning. I was going to preach, and, and it was my first Sunday. And I'd say, Isaac, you got to come. And eventually I talked him into coming that day. And he showed up, and he sat on the very back pew that morning. But you know what happened the next week? He was right there in that very back pew. Now, he wasn't coming because of Jesus. He wasn't coming for any other reason that he wanted to support me, except for God was drawing him, obviously. But, but in his mind, he was coming for me. And so the next week, the next week, well, for several weeks, he was on that back row. And so you know what I did? Just like I do here, I got little fishies, and um, I put people's names on them because I want to be a fisher of men like Christ calls us to be. And so I, I got this little fish, and I wrote Isaac Solander on it. And I put it in my Bible, and every time I opened my Bible, I'd pray for Isaac. I'd say, Lord, reveal yourself to him. Lord, draw him. Lord, you're obviously working here. Lord, would you move in his heart? Lord, would you, would you 
would you get his attention? Lord, are you with me? I would pray over and over and over again. And one day, I came home from work. I was working second shift, and I got home from Coca-Cola about one in the morning, and I come in, and he's sitting there, and he said, I need to talk to you. And he wanted to talk about the gospel. And then he responded to the gospel that night. Praise the Lord. It was exciting to watch that. And then he started reading through the Bible, and we, I'd tell him where to start, and we, we'd have these conversations about reading through the Bible. And then he moved to Florida, and he's an engineer today, and I moved to Texas, and he's still calling me. He said, I'm involved in a church. I'm serving. I'm running the sound equipment. It's awesome. And, and so all the stuff has been happening. It's really exciting. And then he wrote this to me on Easter. I wanted to share it with you, and I'm not going to share it all to you. I just want to read it. It's kind of lengthy here, but I think it's interesting. Coming from an engineer that told me he didn't even know how to read and write. She's lying, he's in college, but he hated reading and writing, and he thought the church would fall in if he came. Now here's what he writes concerning the whole coronavirus stuff. In, in April, he said, It hit me the other night how much COVID-19 is like sin. If I've heard correctly, the CDC knows the genesis of the disease down to the name of the bat that was eaten, much like how we know from the book of Genesis exactly when men fell into sin. Once the sin or disease was contracted, it quickly spread throughout the world. By the time people understood that the disease, uh, what the disease was, it was too late. It had too strong a grasp on us and could not be contained. In the beginning, it seemed to hit the people in China the hardest. It reminds me of how sin seemed to hit Adam and Eve's family hardest. Since they were the first people to encounter sin in the world, not knowing exactly what it was, it drove one of their sons to kill the other, and God cast out that murderer from amongst them. And so, sin had left Adam and Eve childless in one fell swoop. But the sin and disease would not be done there. The disease would spread throughout the earth, it seemed overnight. Reports cases from um, Australia to Africa to Canada. The disease had come to everyone's door, and it didn't matter if you were young, old, rich, or poor. The disease has no bias toward anyone. It affects all it can affect, and the disease and sin are tricky things, like I said before. It affects everyone differently, and some seem to have this natural God-given immunity from which they should be grateful. Some people see the world as utterly broken, which they are right, filled with death, hate, and all forms of malevolence, and decide that what is the point of following the guidance of Jesus and live in sin and, cruel, and are cruel. While others see the world as broken and see the works of Jesus and feel compelled to follow in his footsteps, take up your cross. And, and even though they are burdened, diseased, and weak people themselves, they take up their cross. As the disease continues to affect your life, Remember that God is in control and has already died on the cross and paid for all of the sins that were ever were and are to come. He rose on this day and all those years ago to defeat death so that you and I could have everlasting life where there is no sin or sickness. Until that day comes where you and I are blessed enough to join the Lord in heaven, remember to love one another as Jesus has loved us. I think I got that commandment right. But if you are reading this and do not believe the truth of Jesus, maybe this quote from a wise wizard of Middle Earth is more palatable. I have found that the small everyday deeds of ordinary fold that keep the darkness at bay, small acts of kindness and love. And that's from Gandalf. He's kind of a nerd. But I say all that and I read that just because I want you to see that this is one of those moments when I got this at Easter. I said, wow, God. You ever have a wow, God moment? Wow, God, just thought back in those, those last eight years flashed before my eyes of, of the very first time he knocked on my door and how God empowered me by his Holy Spirit 
to be a witness to that man and how God is moving in his life today, even to the point where an engineer that doesn't like reading and writing is writing something as theological um, as this. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Wow, God, praise the Lord. I say all that simply again to share that God is faithful. As we witness, God is faithful. And so today we come to 2 Thessalonians. And we get to finish up the second letter. Remember, Paul wrote first and 2 Thessalonians to the Thessalonica church. And we get to finish the second letter up. And we see simply what's happening is Paul is being faithful in his witnessing. And God is being faithful as Paul witnessed. That same mission from the very beginning. And really what's happening is Paul is giving his last words to Thessalonians. His last words. I mean, we see that he wrote 1 Thessalonians. He says, I hope I get to come back to you and see you face to face someday. And then in 2 Thessalonians, he's writing it. We don't know if he ever gets a chance to go back to Thessalonica. We don't know if he ever goes back. So this could be the very last words. Probably not. He might have wrote more letters. We don't know. But what we do know is these are his last words that we know of in which he writes to these Thessalonian believers. And what does he talk about? Well, we're going to have to wade through this a little bit. So you please stay with me. Stay alert. Wake up, David. Where are you at, David? Wake up, brother. I'm just kidding. This idea of, of listening as we wade through this, because it gets a little deep here at the beginning. It starts talking about the second coming again. And I don't want us to get lost. The real picture that is being told here that Paul is being faithful to is this, that God has called you and me, he's called us into this beautiful gospel truth. He's called us to this beautiful gospel truth. And that's what the next chapter and the next chapter, 2 and 3, as we finish this up, is really about. And so as God calls us into this gospel truth, how are we to respond to that? That's my message this morning. That's what I'm trying to get at. And I pray the Holy Spirit is faithful this morning in showing you this. Because the first point this morning is simply this. The way we respond is we receive the knowledge and the love of the gospel truth. The first point here. We see the knowledge and love of the gospel truth. I want you to catch that. Not only knowledge, but the love of the truth. That's important. It's going to come important real quick here. He wants us to catch this. And what's happening is the people of Thessalonica are a little confused. And we're going to get into it, but just read this with me here a little bit. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you're there, say amen. It says this, chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> of 2 Thessalonians, it says, Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to Him, we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed, the son of perdition who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, so that he sits as God in the temple of God, showing himself that he is God. Pretty scary stuff here. Do you not remember that when I was with you, still with you, I told you of these things? Now Paul's talking about that short visit he had with him. He says, don't you remember this? And then verse 6, and now you know what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. Talking about the man of lawlessness. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed and whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan <clears throat> with all power, signs and lying wonders 
And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because, listen to this, because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie and that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So Paul, it's, like I said, it's starting pretty deep this morning. We're going to get through this. Stay with me. He says, let's talk about the second coming real quick. Let's bring it back to this. And this isn't new. We talked a little bit about this in 1 Thessalonians at the end there. And then the last whole chapter, the first chapter of 2 Thessalonians, two weeks ago, we talked the whole thing about the second coming through the lens of the gospel. So we spent an adamant amount of time looking at that. And then on Wednesday night, we even went and looked at the different views of the end times. That's fun. We get to look at the different views. They're scattered all over the place. And there seems to be some evidence in Scripture for different ones. And so we got to look at that. And so we spent quite a bit of time on that. But again and again, I want to remind you, you that Paul's purpose in this and God's ultimate purpose in this letter is not that we would have a theological treatise or a dissertation of the second coming. This is pastoral encouragement. This is pastoral um, um, counsel to them to, to help encourage them. So here's what he says. He says, brethren, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gathering together with him, he says, let's talk about it for a moment. But the purpose of this is that we would know the truth and love the truth. Listen to what he says here. Now, brethren, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our gathering together to him, we ask you not to be so soon shaken in mind or troubled, either by spirit or by word or by letter, as if from us, as though the day of Christ had come. Let no one deceive you by any means. Paul wanted them to first know the gospel truth. You know what one of the greatest threats to truth is? Deception. To be deceived. Because deception, I would just say a lie, but you all know this, that a lie is, is, is not even as tricky as part truth. Are you with me? Deception kind of uses part truth and then steers you away from the real truth. And so deception is really dangerous. And that's what Paul's getting at here. He's wanting to say, I want you to make sure you're not being deceived here. He says, don't be deceived by anyone. He says, don't be so soon to be shaken in the mind. What does that mean? He says, don't get out of sorts. Don't get out of sorts just yet. Don't, don't be troubled just yet. He says, don't be. Well, why are they troubled? Why are they shaken in their mind? Why, why, why is this even something Paul's talking about? Well, there's a group in the church. Obviously, there's some kind of group in the church that are making the claim that Jesus' return, that the day of Christ, that the day of the Lord, that it has already happened. Or that it is so close to happening that it is as good as present. That's what's being said in the church. And so Paul says, whoa. Whoa, 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 whoa. Don't you remember what I told you when I was there? Y'all know I think that all the time when y'all talk to me. Don't you remember what I told you? He says, don't you remember I was just there? He said, wherever you heard that from. He's getting to this point. He says, wherever you heard that from, whether it was a, a fake letter and someone counterfeited a letter from me, or whether it was a some bad sermon or, or a weird prophecy. That's what he's getting at, by letter, by word. He says, Whatever, wherever you heard that from, it is wrong. And then he goes to correct it. He says, let no one deceive you by any means, for that day will not come unless or until. And so what Paul's saying is, don't get out of sorts. Let me encourage you, this day has not happened yet. In fact, we know it hasn't happened yet because these things have to happen first. And listen to what he says. 
He says, let no one deceive you, for that day will not come unless the falling away comes first and the man of sin is revealed. There's the two things. The first one he says, it hasn't come unless the falling away has come first. What in the world? Well, the Greek word is apostasia there, which means apostasy or a falling away or a rebellion. This idea of turning from Christ. He says, until that happens first, and this, it's kind of like this grander event that, that, that we'll see a great falling away happen. Then he says, and the man of sin or the man of lawlessness, your translation might say, or the Antichrist is what we hear from time to time. He says, this person must be revealed as well before the day of the Lord comes. And then he spends verse 4 through 9 talking about this Antichrist, this man of lawlessness is what your translation says, or man of sin is what the King James says. And so there's some things that's just, let's, let's touch these real quick. Verse 3, we see that it says the man of lawlessness. So we know that this is a person. He's a person, and his very identity is embodied by the spirit of rebellion against who God is, against God's law. That's why it's lawlessness. Everything about him is against God's law. So we know he's a person, it's against God, and then second here, verse 3, we see that he's called the son of perdition. What Paul's saying is his destiny is destruction. He says this man of sin, this man of lawlessness, his destiny is destruction, he says. And then he goes on and explains how he will oppose God in all objects of worship. In fact, he will oppose so much that he himself will step in the place of exalting himself to the point where he will make himself presented as God and even set in the temple as if he's God. Now, here's some of that deep stuff I was telling you about that we got to wade through a little bit. What does that mean? Well, to just be honest with you, it's kind of confusing. The temple could mean that the Jerusalem temple has to be rebuilt, and you have a lot of people that believe that, that it has to be rebuilt, and that the Antichrist or this man of lawlessness will come in and sit there in that public forum there at Jerusalem, and that may be the case. Or it may be, like Paul says in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, and Ephesians, he calls the temple the church. He says, we're the temple. Now, talking about because the Holy Spirit indwells us. No longer does the Holy Spirit indwell the temple like it did in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is indwelled by the brothers and sisters in Christ. And so this could mean that a person, of the man of lawlessness, will come out of the church in some way or another. We don't really know. But we do know here next that it says that he is being restrained until an appointed time. What does that mean? It means that this person, this man of lawlessness is not in charge. Can I hear an amen? He's not in charge. In fact, we know that God is in charge here because last week, if you looked online at that sermon, Acts 1-7 says that God is the one who appoints the times and seasons of the last days. So God ultimately, however he's restraining, I don't know, but he's ultimately the restrainer. And then from verse 8, we see that it says, the Lord appears. Oh, praise God. It says that this person, in verse 9, it says that there's signs and wonders and, and these miraculous events that are happening. And, and they're, they're, not, they're counterfeit not because they're not miraculous. They're miraculous. They're real. They're, they're crazy. They're blow-your-mind kind of things. But they're powered by Satan. It says by his power, a satanic power. Y'all realize that's a real power. It's not equal to God's power, but it is a real power. And it says that those things will... That, the reason they're not counterfeit is not because they're not miraculous, it's because they're lies. But praise God, in verse 8 it says Jesus shows up. 
He shows up, and you know what it says? In just one breath, Jesus opens his mouth and one breath, this man of lawlessness is destroyed. If that's not encouraging, I don't know what is. What has caused a falling away, a huge group of people to turn to Christ. This kind of person that has all this influence, Jesus shows up, opens his mouth in one breath, and things are taken care of. Praise the Lord for that type of Jesus, y'all. The type of Jesus that Revelation says has a sword coming out of his mouth because one word's all it takes. Praise the Lord. We see it gets back to verse 9 through 12 where where we get this apostasy again. And it seems like Paul's kind of echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew 24, verse 9 through 14. He echoes these same words in which Jesus said that the lawlessness will abound or multiply. Jesus says that and Paul says, well, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. It's the same word being used here. And it brings back to this idea of deception. Why is there such a falling away? And verse 10 is the answer and I need y'all to listen to me. It says, because they did not receive the love of the truth, that they may be saved. Did you catch that? It's not merely, notice this, it's not merely an issue of knowing and believing merely in a mental state. This is an issue of loving. Y'all realize that salvation is not just about this acknowledgement of this truth and believing it to be real. That salvation is a little more than that. It's acknowledging it, the knowledge of it, but then this love of it. God gives us this love for His truth, for the gospel, and we receive that. It gives us a new heart. That's the beautiful news, y'all. Praise the Lord. We see here that there is a love that we have, but here it's it's a scary thing because they're falling away because they lack it. They did not receive the love, it says here. So what are we to first do How are we to respond with this idea of God calling us to this gospel love? That first point, again, is that we receive knowledge and love. Don't forget the love. Knowledge and love of the gospel truth, that we receive that. And then number two, second point this morning, may we stand firm and hold to the gospel truth. May we stand firm and hold to it. This is where it gets pretty exciting. Paul Paul says, please don't go crazy. Don't get out of sorts. He says, he says, you got this wrong. And he starts correcting him about the second coming. He walks through all that. And I understand if you're like me, you will leave this morning with more questions about the second coming and about the day of the Lord than you came in here with. I do. When I read this, I'm thinking, my mind goes crazy. I don't understand. Does the rapture happen before this, after this? Will we get to see the man of lawlessness? Will there ever even be the sense of the the church being ripped out before that happens? I don't know. But what I get encouragement from is God's desire in this, and Paul's desire through God's inspiration, is not for us to know that. What his desire is, is to encourage us that there is a gospel truth. And that's what he says next. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. If you're there, say amen. I want these beautiful words to sink in this morning. Let them sink in. Hear them for, for the words that Christ is speaking this morning. But we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brother, and beloved by the Lord. And listen, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth to which he called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Therefore, brethren, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or epistle. And then he prays, he says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good word and work. So right here, these are beautiful words. I hope they sink in. Paul gives us a command. Then he gives us a reason to obey that command. And then he gives us the way to obey that command. So what's the command? Well, the command comes back to this point here this morning. The command is simply this. Stand fast or stand firm and hold on to what you've been taught, whether by our mouth or by our letters. He says, hold fast to the truth. Hold fast to the word of God. Stand firm on the word of God. That's the command. But then we see the reason to obey it is beautiful. In verse 12, he says, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through setting your you apart that's what sanctification means through setting you apart for holiness by the spirit and belief in the truth so it shows the ways he chose it says from the beginning he chose us for salvation through setting us apart and he says here's how he chose you by the spirit praise god by the spirit but not only by the spirit he says by belief in the truth says God chose you from the beginning here again church we see this glorious tension of God's ultimate role calling and choosing of us into salvation and man's responsibility to believe it and receive it we see this beautiful tension here again in the scripture of how God calls us and how we believe it it says this happens by the spirit by belief in the truth but again we must always understand that God is ultimately the actor here He's the actor. That's why it's by His grace that we're even able to believe in Him. And so He chooses to do it by the Spirit, by belief in the truth. And then verse 14 says He calls us to the salvation. He says, by the gospel for the purpose of obtaining glory with our Lord. For the purpose of obtaining glory. Isn't that beautiful? The reason He chose us for salvation The reason we are called into this relationship with Christ by the Spirit and by belief in Him, however all that works together, the reason He says He does that is because He wants us to share in His glory. Does that not amaze you, church? What a blessing this is. We are to stand fast and hold into this truth that He has called you, chosen you, pulled you out, set you apart by His Spirit and by your belief in Him. That we might share in his glory. This is the greatest inheritance there ever was. Lastly, we see, because the the greatest part's yet to come. Lastly, we see how we are to obey this. The way we're to obey it. How do we stand fast and firm in this? Verse 16 through 17 says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and our God and Father, who has loved us and given us everlasting consolation or comfort and good hope by grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every word and work. We stand fast this way, church, by the Lord, by his love, it says, by his hope, by his grace, by him comforting our hearts, by him establishing us in good word and good works. That's how we hold fast into it. So let me just read, go over this for a minute. We are chosen by God, an almighty, beautiful God that is perfect and just and righteous and holy. We can't even understand how glorious He is. 
And he looks at me and you who are sinners fallen from him. And he says, I want you to share in my glory. I want you to share in my glory. And so what am I going to do about that? I'm going to save you by the Spirit and by belief in the truth so that you may obtain the glory of God with me. It almost sounds too good to be true, doesn't it, church? But that's what makes it the glorious gospel good news. How do we respond to the gospel truth? We stand firm and hold fast to this gospel truth. And then thirdly, may we pray for further reception of the gospel truth. So what's another way we respond? May we pray for further reception. Look at the next chapter here, chapter 3, verse 1. He says, finally, brethren, pray for us. That the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified just as it is with you. And that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For not all have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Who will receive you, establish you, and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. So Paul really is going to ask them to pray for them in three different ways. He says, first off, would you pray that this word, that the word of the Lord, that this gospel truth would would run swiftly? Or your uh, translation might say, speed ahead. What's he getting at? He says, pray that the word of God would be shared to the ends of the earth. Back to what Jesus has asked us to do. That it would go to all nations. That the word of God would be spread. But then he says, please don't only pray for that. He says, pray that it would be received or glorified or honored might be a better translation there when he says that it might be honored. What is he getting at? Not only that when the word is spoken, but but that also it would be elevated and exalted and people would see it, that God would reveal himself through it and it would be received and lifted up and exalted. So how are we to respond to this gospel truth? We pray. We pray for it to move ahead. We pray for it to be received. And then we pray for those that are speaking it. He says, pray that we would be delivered from unright or unsensible or, or can't remember the word, unsensible, unrighteous, I think he says unrighteous, or he says um, from wicked men. He says, pray that we would be delivered from them because all men don't have faith. Y'all realize that we have like 3,000 missionaries that we support through the cooperative program and we should be praying for them on a regular basis, asking the Lord to deliver them from wicked men. Because y'all, we are blessed to be in the place we are. The most horrendous and wicked person that encounters us in Blackfoot is like a saint over in Middle East. Are you with me? Let's pray for our brothers and sisters that are sharing the gospel. Paul asked for them to pray for him, and they would have been all too familiar with the persecution that they were going through. And it's almost as if Paul's closing up here. He says, okay, he says, while all men aren't faithful, he pulls on this awesome pretty clause. He says, but the Lord is always faithful. He says, the Lord's always faithful. And he says that with him being faithful, he says says he is faithful here. We see that. And then he goes on after that, though, and he talks about how he'll establish you and guard you. And so it's almost like he's saying, um, remember in all this that the Lord is faithful. And then he says, 
and I have confidence in your faithfulness, that you will do and continue to do what I've told you, what I've commanded you. And so he goes through that. He says, not only is the Lord faithful, but I have confidence in your faithfulness. And then he ties it in with this idea that, that he believes that the Lord will direct their hearts to his love and to his patience. So Paul prays that they would receive this truth, that others would receive it, they would be delivered as they're sharing it, and, and we see that's a response that we are to have when we get called to this gospel truth. The fourth thing, and I want to come to this fourth response with you, because it's almost as if Paul says, all right, here's my closing statement. He closes it, and he says, oh, there's one more thing. Y'all ever done that? Or you're in the middle of a conversation, you feel like you've closed it just right. <laughs> it's perfect. It's been summarized. It's been concluded, and you're like, oh, there's something else I need to add. <laughs> I feel like that's what Paul's doing in this letter almost. He closes, the Lord's always faithful. May he establish you and protect you from the evil one. It's, it's like, yes, praise the Lord. And then the Holy Spirit says, hey, there's one more thing for you, Paul. And Paul writes this. He says, but we command you. So the, last fourth, or the fourth point here, may we walk in the gospel truth together. That's what he's getting at here as he gets back into verse 6. He says, but we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the tradition which he received from us. This is pretty deep stuff. Y'all listen to what he's saying here. Verse 7, For you yourselves know that how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toiled night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow for even when we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, neither shall he eat. That's a dad's favorite line. Verse 11, for, he, for we hear that there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner, not working at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through our Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good. And if anyone does not obey our word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. So this gets a little tricky here as he's wrapping this up. Paul's a essentially saying this he says this call that we have to the gospel truth to to walk in it he says do it together he says obeying the lord do that together he says in fact i've heard he says that there's some of you that are not obeying and he gives an example he says some of you are not working and mooching off the other christians and the reason they were not working is because they thought that the, the end was already here, that Christ is already returning, and that the day of the Lord was here, so there's no reason for them to work. Why would they put themselves through that? Because work's miserable, right? That's what, they're, that's what they're thinking. Too many people shook their heads yes. <laughs> work's a blessing from the Lord. <laughs> but this idea, he says, I hear of them. They're with you. They're walking disorderly. What are you to do with that? Listen to what he says. This applies to us, church. He says, when they're not obeying the gospel truth, he says, withdraw from them. Whoa. You mean when we have brothers and sisters in here that are not walking in the truth that, that God's word is calling us to? We're to withdraw from them? That's what it says. What does that mean? How do we translate that? Well, first off, let me make sure we're clear on this. It's not talking about lost people. 
It's not saying don't company yourself with lost people because they're not following. Of course they're not following, they're lost. It's talking about brothers and sisters in Christ. It says when a brother or sister is not following the Lord, it says withdraw from them, and there's a purpose in that. It says so that they would be ashamed. Not that you would shame them, but that the Holy Spirit would convict them in that. That you are not condoning it and that the Holy Spirit would work through that and point them and turn them back to Christ. He says don't do this as an enemy. Don't do it hatefully. Don't do it in a sense of where it's a destructive thing. He says withdraw from them in love as a brother would counsel or admonish or warn another brother. He says withdraw from them in that way so that God might get their attention. Y'all realize that is our calling as we walk in Christ together that we are supposed to be doing that together and that when we fall we come alongside of one another in that way and counsel and warn each other amen, amen. the very final thing here thank you trip the very final thing here may we receive peace and grace from the gospel truth very short here that's what he says at the very end how he wraps up every letter he says the last way to respond receive peace and grace from the lord from the truth he says in verse 16, now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace always in every way that the Lord be with you all. And he says the salutation or this, this, this closing here of Paul is with my own hand, which is a sign in every epistle. So I write what he's saying is, is my handwriting here is a sign that this letter is for me. He says, don't be getting confused about whatever is happening because y'all are all messed up. He says, listen to what the Lord is speaking through this letter. And he says, to close it off, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. That's how he finishes this up. So conclusion here. How will you respond to God's call that he's called you into gospel truth? How will you respond? Receive the knowledge and love of the gospel truth. Stand firm and hold to the gospel truth. Pray for further reception for others to receive the gospel truth. Walk in it together I need y'all with that. Let's walk in it together and receive peace and grace from the gospel truth. There's a story about the devil. And he was walking. And he had somebody walking with him. And they were walking behind a man. And this man stooped down and he picked something up. And it was real shiny, real pretty, almost like a ruby looking something. It was real pretty. He's like, what in the world? And so that man that was walking with Satan said, oh, devil, what did he pick up? And the devil said, well, that's a piece of the truth. And that man heard, and they kept walking. He said, well, devil, aren't you going to do something about that? He picked up a piece of the truth. That means he's getting closer to the truth. He picked up a piece. Aren't you going to snatch that from his hand? And the devil looked at him, and he said, no. He said, I'm going to help him turn that piece of truth into a religion that he worships and serves so he never really sees the full gospel truth and falls in love with it. Church, what did you pick up the day you picked something up? Did you pick up a piece of the truth? And that's what you're worshiping? Even though it's in a God and, and, and you really believe it sincerity and wholeheartedly? But was it the full gospel truth? What did you pick up that day? Because I believe that there are too many inside the church that have grabbed a hold of a part truth that keeps them from seeing the real truth that comes through Christ only, by His grace, through faith. And so church, I'm asking you to 
look in your own heart and ask the Lord to reveal to you right now, has He given you a new heart? Has He done that by His grace and His glorious looking upon you and saying, I choose you. And by His Spirit, His miraculous Spirit, and by your belief and receiving of that, are you walking in Christ for real? Do you have a love for that? Is it just something you've accepted and believed in your head? Or is that really a love that you have for God and a love you have for this gospel truth? It's a good flag to tell you where you are this morning. Church, would you respond this morning? Father God, Lord, I love these people that are sitting right in front of me, Lord, with all my heart. Lord, I, 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 I desire to be with them. I desire to love them. And I desire to be loved by them. Lord, we're a family here this morning, Lord. And I thank you for them. But God, if there's any of us in here that are struggling or not even aware that we are deceived, Lord, from the truth because we have a part truth, Lord, would you radically and miraculously, Lord, show up right now Show us that we might still have a heart of flesh that's trying to worship you as God, that can't. And we need a new heart, Lord. Lord, would you give a new heart to someone today? By your grace only, Lord. By faith only, Lord. In Christ only, Lord. May we call out for your mercy, understanding that we are fallen and away from you, Lord. And the only answer is a glorious God that chooses to Take us and let us share in your glory. Oh God, I love you. I thank you for over the last couple years of radically renewing my mind and my heart to the sense of having a love for the gospel truth. Lord, would you make that a reality for those in here today? Help us turn to you, Christ. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. We have a lot of problems. In the whole in the whole world, but uh, you know it's a. Uh, God said over three hundred sixty-five times in the Bible, "Don't be afraid." So, uh, fear's a liar.
told you you were troubled, you'll forever be alone. When he told you you should run away, you'll never find a home. When he told you you were dirty, and you should be ashamed. When he told you you could be the one, the grace could never Praise God. I pray that you leave this morning knowing, knowing without a shadow of doubt that God from the beginning, it says, chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and by belief and truth so that you may obtain the glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. Please don't leave here without recognizing that truth. That is the gospel truth this morning. If you missed it, I shared it one more time for you. And may God take that and radically open your eyes to it. And if that happens as you walk out this door or this week or whenever it happens, or if it's already happened and you want to rejoice in it, call me. <laughs> because I want to rejoice with you. Amen? Amen.